Thanks, Cesar. Let's go with this value, DNL value, DNA value, servant leadership. Wesleyans respect leadership that is placed over them while recognise that the authority and effectiveness of spiritual leadership is not primarily bestowed but earned and is characterised by a loving and willing heart of obedience that serves God and mankind gladly. Wesleyans desire to be leaders in serving. So you hear the value, right? It's this leadership influence is primarily found in serving, in serving. And we instinctively know this, I think, from some of the models we've seen in our lives. We, uh, I recall a story when I was about 12 years old of a particular guy who was leading like our kids and youth at church at the time. And he just used to lose it. Like when, um, when the kids would get rowdy and stop listening to him, he'd start screaming. I'm talking really screaming. I'm talking 10 out of 10 lose it. I'm talking red face, you know, fists clenched and, you know, jaw and the whole works. And, and he just didn't get it. He had no control at all of the kids. The kids were completely in control. And he would make these threats, you know, if you don't stop and listen to me, I'm the leader. I'll be sending you home. I'll be telling your parents. You can imagine that that created influence, right? It didn't. Uh, they just, they just felt, felt it was one big joke. And uh, no doubt you've witnessed some leaders handle their influence well, and others not so well. And we ought not be surprised by this. I don't know if you're aware of this fact or not. It's a horrible statistic. But of the 400 leaders in the Bible, only 100 finished well. Only 25% of them actually ended well. As you go through the Old Testament, many of the kings, many of the leaders, they crashed, they got proud, they got arrogant. And it's hard to find a good finisher, someone who went through and followed God faithfully with humility to the end. And we get surprised, I think, at times by this, but I guess history would tell us, don't be surprised. Leaders are very fallible, very human. Leaders have their own issues to deal with just like all other people do. And they face the same deep human issues that people who aren't in leadership face. Les Parrott explains the two big issues in life that we all have to face. And I guess to some extent he's describing two broad categories of people that we're going to bump into. And they're profound ideas. You really need to put your thinking caps on to, to be able to grab a hold of these thoughts. Are you ready? Are you concentrating? Is the brain on? Here's life's two biggest questions. You ready? Who am I? And how are you? Wasn't that profound? Well, you, you, at first glance, you'll think that's very, very basic elementary level, yeah? But however, they're the profound questions of life. And I agree with his explanation around why he thinks this. He says, many people never get around to talking about how are you because they're still trying to work out who am I. Until we, can, we can't serve anyone else well until we've first worked out our own inner peace and found that in God. And we're only ever qualified to serve anybody else when we've actually worked through that first question, the identity question, who am I? I can't honestly serve you well until I've worked through that. Now you might say, so John, are you 100% secure in your identity in God all the time? And so all of your ministry flows out of a how are you instead of a who am I? Now we've all got a bit of who am I now, how are you? And we leak. 
And there's certain times in our journey that we thought we had an identity sorted out and then something happens and that gets dismantled and you've got to kind of rediscover it all yet again. But there's no more pathetic sight to behold. Can I talk straight? There's no more pathetic sight to behold than someone who's serving, but they're really just trying to fill up their own void and their own needs and their own gaps in their own life. And everybody can see through it. Everybody can see that they're just there trying to still figure the who am I out, even as they work into or try and fake a how are you. And it's a terrible thing when you see this unfold before your eyes, when you can see someone's trying to stroke their own ego, meanwhile sweeping the floor, but they're looking around making sure people are noticing. It's a terrible sight. And you can see that neediness in them as you observe that from an outsider perspective. It's a sad thing when a person does that. It's an even sadder thing when a leader does that. And you can see that they're only in that role because they're still trying to find their identity. We have so much to learn from Jesus, not just the amount that he served, but how he went about serving, the manner in which he engaged in serving others. So I want to jump in and read from John 13 and and discover through his leadership practice how we can how we can have a leadership influence as well. So last weekend we talked about the discipleship influence of Jesus. This weekend we're looking about the leadership. We're looking into the leadership influence of Jesus, how he handled his leadership influence. John 13 says this, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that his father had given him authority over everything and he had come from God and would return to God. So... He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your teacher, Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are no greater, not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. This is the word of the Lord. And may add his blessing to it today. Jesus is a quintessential servant leader. It's where we got the concept from, from Jesus. And it's no better described than here in John 13. So let's unpack it. Jesus engaged in humble service, knowing his true identity. This is the first thing. So what's this mean? Jesus had who am I sorted out. Of life well and truly sorted. Now, he wasn't then going into service to fill a void or to feel better or to feel whole or to give himself a psychological lift of some sort. The launching pad for Jesus into public service was a healthy identity. In fact, 
those words of healthy identity sort of get overused, I think, especially nowadays, and we never really stop and explain or unpack what they mean. So I'll do that for you really briefly tonight. What does it mean to have a healthy identity? I'm going to strip it right back to say this. It's an identity that's received, not achieved. That's a healthy identity. Identity that is received and not achieved. Identity is not something we can earn. We are only ever gifted it. And a healthy identity then is one that is bestowed upon us, certainly from a Christian worldview, one that is bestowed upon us by God. But don't miss the headline within that. It is certainly a headline because Christianity in this regard is distinctive. Unlike any other world religion, Identity is not something that's just gifted to you and handed out. You've got to earn it through merit. You've got to check some boxes. You're going to do some stuff to impress the God that you're following. Christianity is like no other. It's the only worldview that flips out on the head. And the God of the Bible says, no, sit down before you hurt yourself. Sit down and first fill yourself up with my love before you try doing anything. Sit down and stay there until you're overflowing with the love of God and then serve. After reconciling the who am I, then worry about how are you. And you say, John, I've been working on that for 40 years. Well, you'll never get it perfect. It's not about that, but it's about a process of continuing to sit and surrender to God's love and knowing that's a gift to you. This is how Father God parents. He gives the affirmation on the front end. In terms of earthly parents, there's three types here. Some parents never affirm. They just don't. Their kids go up starving for affection, looking for some kind word anywhere and everywhere, looking for some some person to believe in them. And these parents, for whatever reason, don't have capacity to affirm and speak blessing over their kids, maybe because of their own brokenness, whatever it might be. But they seem to have no idea of what it means to build healthy identity in a child. It's kind of a treat, treat them mean, keep them keen kind of slogan that these parents operate within. They never say anything nice to their kids. That's one type of parent. And some kids go up in that environment or at least exist in that environment. And then there's parents who affirm, but it's based on performance. And this is where most parents sit and even where most of us parents in the room probably sit if we're honest. Now, it's better than the first lot of parents who never, ever affirm, but this this encouragement or affirmation is not random. It's always associated with activity. This is probably where a lot of parents sit. If Claire's been a good girl, then Claire gets treated well. Claire is appreciated in her family. Her parents are happy with her. If Claire's behaviour is bad, guess what? Claire is a bad person. See, her behaviour and her worth are tied together. There's no distinction between the two. She's a good or bad person based off her behaviour 100%. Be a good girl, Claire, and you'll be liked. If you're a bad girl, you probably won't be. Performance determines value. Then there's next level parents, dare I say godly parents. They encourage their kids just because. Just because their kids woke up today. 
The affirmation of the child is not based on performance. It's just there like a steady stream and input into their life. They pour love on their offspring because they're humans gifted to them by an almighty God. And there's a disconnect then between behaviour and worth. They're just worthy because they exist and they're creations of the Most High God. Poor behaviour though still gets corrected. We're not given an added pass. Poor behaviour gets corrected, but love isn't withheld on the basis of poor behaviour. Love is enduring because the child's behaviour isn't the thing that warrants the affection. There's a separation between the two. I'm calling those parents godly parents because that's the type of parent God is. When you look at how he treated his son when Jesus came to earth, before Jesus did anything, he gets this incredible affirmation, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. When does that come? When does that come? Before any miracles, before any teachings, before any signs and wonders. This voice from heaven, you are. When? Right now. But I haven't done anything to deserve it yet. I know. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Before the game, before the performance, before the triumphs, before Jesus has done anything, before any wins are on the board, if you like, Jesus gets his affirmation that he was pleasing to his father. This is the kind of parent that God is. Without any behavioural strings attached, God imparts identity to his son, Jesus. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In John 13, we're reaching the back end of his public ministry. His earthly life is coming to an end. But these same sentiments apply. We've just read about his service, but notice what's driving them. What's driving this service? Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given. See the tense there? Past tense. Not will be given if he be, you know, stays faithful to the end. No, Jesus had already been given an identity by his Father. He'd been given authority over everything. And then he got up from the table and took off his robe and began to wash feet. The order of this passage is critical. What do we know about order? Well, we know that at the beginning of the gospel, Jesus gets his identity sorted. But the new details emerging here also matter in verse 3 of John 13. Jesus knew exactly who he was, which in turn meant he knew what to do and means what he knew what potential he had as well. He knew who he was. He was a dearly loved son. That was settled way back then. In turn, it means he knew what he had, all authority of heaven is mentioned here. And in turn means he knew what he could do, anything, anything. Here's the strangest bit. That knowledge, that perspective, that conviction of knowing that all the authority of heaven was at his disposal means he can get down on the ground and start washing feet. Isn't that a spin out? Because it's so backwards to how culture imagines power being used. Our culture says work hard to climb the ladder and go up and up and up and up and never look down unless you're treading on the fingers of those who are trying to reach you. You just keep going up and up and up and up. And the whole point is that you'll never have to do any trivial tasks again. And here is Jesus at the top of the ladder. 
And because he's there, he knows he hasn't more, and there's no more rungs to climb. He's reached the pinnacle and he says, this is what it looks like to be great. I'm going to serve. He did that because he has, it, has his identity sorted. He took it by faith and he received it. Now, this passage goes on to unpack more things about servant leadership. It says that Jesus engaged in his humble service in the midst of evil suffering, in the midst of evil scheming rather, not suffering, evil scheming. It's a harsh reality to come to terms with the fact that even when you're trying to serve and do it with the best of intentions, not everyone's genuine. Especially if you're the sincere type. When you hit the alternative, when you hit someone who you come to understand is betraying you, lying about you, slandering, gossip, etc., it's kind of like a woo moment. Like, I just thought we were here serving God together. And that's a shock to find that, well, we aren't on the same page after all. And we get blindsided when the nasties come to visit. And here we were serving with good motives and then somebody comes into the circle and causes havoc. And if you haven't discovered that yet, if that hasn't come to visit your residence, don't fear, it won't be far away. It won't be far away. It's coming soon to a store near you. We normally say in moments like this, don't hold your breath. I'm saying safe to hold your breath because this is going to happen soon. What are you saying, John? I'll spell it out clearly. Humans will disappoint you. Humans will hurt you. Humans will let you down. Aren't you glad you came to church this weekend? Isn't this such an encouraging word? Well, we haven't got to the worst news yet. Not only will humans disappoint and hurt and let you down, people you thought were your friends will disappoint you. That hurts more. People you thought were your friends will hurt you. People you thought were your friends will let you down and throw you under a bus. And that, that really cuts deep. When they backstab, when they speak ill of you, that really, really can hurt. John 13 speaks to this. Here in the midst of Jesus' most intimate moment with his disciples, where incredibly he's on the ground, basin in hand, slaving away. And yet despite this moment of leadership humility, simultaneously right there, right there in that moment, a murder is being planned. Smack bang in the middle of this act of service, it's almost beyond belief. It sends a shiver up my spine to stop and engage with the thought. A murder plot is unfolding right in the middle of this act of service. That's incredible, isn't it? Let's contextualise it. You're at your friend's property. They've had an accident recently. They're unable to mow their lawns. You've taken your mower over there and you're busily serving them with no ulterior motives, no motive other than wanting to be there and help. That's you. You're slaving away in the backyard with the whippersnipper and the mower and clippers, etc. And that's all that is within your heart is I want to serve, I want to help. There's no ulterior dark motive other than that. However, your friend looks out the window and you think they're just admiring and appreciating all your good work, but actually they're wondering how they might take your life. You might think, Jono, well, that's a, 
that's a pretty far-fetched story. I can't think of any friend that would would do that. I mean, how ridiculous. That, they, those don't fit together at all. That I'll go over to a friend's place and mow their lawn and help them out in, in a really hard time of trial and they would look out the window and plan to murder me. Well, I get it. They don't fit together very well, but this is exactly what's going on here in John 13. As Jesus is moving about with water basin and towel and washing feet, he knows the thoughts and intents in the heart of Judas. And he knows what's being schemed in the moment, an execution. What's going on as Jesus moves around with this basin? I, I just imagine the scene, don't you? I mean, was there eye contact between Jesus and Judas? Did, did Jesus need his toes a little bit harder? Yeah, I'm here to wash your feet. I know what's coming in a moment. I don't know. What we do know is Jesus engaged in humble service in the midst of evil scheming. That's when Jesus does it. In the midst of people plotting his murder, Jesus still washes feet. We have this nagging feeling when we think about serving or helping others. You know, right from the person on the street with the basin in front of them looking for a dollar who's posing as homeless, we have this nagging feeling of, are they for real? Are they really in need or are they just faking it to get an income to get their drugs or supplies or whatever it might be? And even as we think about serving in other spheres of life, I think we have the same nagging feeling. Will people appreciate me? Will my time and money and energy be appreciated or will it be another bad ending? Will my sincerity be used against me? Will it be used and abused like last time? And underneath these nagging feelings, I think, is this felt need for security. If I'm going to step in and help and volunteer, and give of myself. I want to know that the people that I'm doing it with are genuine. We want guarantees. We don't want to be hurt. We want a bruise-free serving experience. I wonder if one of the things being communicated here in John 13 is that's too high an expectation. I know it's not spelled out explicitly here, but the implications are very, very clear. Keep washing feet even when you know that person's on the way to do evil. Whoa. Wash the feet of someone on their way to plot your murder. Keep going. Jesus Christ washed the feet of a man on his way thereafter to end his life. Jesus Christ washed feet. And the one difference between us and him is he wasn't surprised by the betrayal. We get shocked. Like, surely that person wouldn't do it to me. Jesus knew. It's a surprise to us when we're still packing up the basin and the towel to hear gunshots and we think, not that person, not Jude. I mean, I only just finished washing his feet. I just helped him out. He wouldn't do this to me. We get shocked by it. Jesus anticipated it. He knew it was coming. He knew. There's a poem thought to be written by Mother Teresa. There's conjecture now over whether it's her poem or not. It was certainly a poem on a wall, 
but whether she was actually the author of it or not is now unclear. Regardless of whether she wrote it, this was her inspiration to serve the poor for decades and give her life like she did. It's called Do It Anyway. People are often unreasonable, illogical and self-centred. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you'll win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you've got anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. In the middle of the poem, the good you do today, people often forget tomorrow. Do it anyway. Jesus got worse than that. Didn't wait till tomorrow to forget it. The very moment he finishes drying Judas's feet, he rushes off to finalise plans for his execution. So what do we do with that scenario? Do good anyway. You say, Johnny, why would I? If I know that person is a phony, if I know they're going to use it against me in the long run, because you've sorted out question one. Who am I? When you know who you are in God, that people lose their control over you. If you're a dearly loved child of God, you give off that love without strings attached, without, the, without knowing it's coming back in the face of evil even. You say, hold up, John. Last week you spoke to us about not letting people get away with using you and not enabling them and and understanding our human limitations. And now, I don't get it, you're giving people a free ride. They're allowed to walk all over me, is that what you're saying? Well, there's a tightrope to walk here, isn't there? I think we offer people our hand to those in need, but hear this carefully, we don't always offer our heart. We offer our hand, we don't always offer the fullness of our heart. Now, I did just say that. We don't offer our heart to anyone and everyone. You say, why would you say that? Because I think that's the model of Jesus. We only have to go back 10 or so pages in this same book of John. We're in chapter 13 at the moment where there seems to be this model of reckless love being portrayed here. But just a few pages back in the very same gospel, here's what we find, John chapter 2. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew about all the people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. 
It's just a couple of pages back in the same story where Jesus is saying, hey, not everyone gets full access to my heart. You say, John, I didn't know it was possible. I didn't understand there was a distinction between the two, between offering my hand and offering my heart. Well, there's a dance there that you have to learn. But is there a distinction there? Yes, there is. You say, well, I haven't learned it yet. Well, you know your development area now, don't you? Cool. Well done. You've got something to work on in the coming week. You're welcome. It's easy to love those who love us and are loyal to us. But a Category 2 person who's worked out the who am I question can operate at a whole different level because they know who they are in God. They can continue to serve even in the midst of evil scheming. Final point in John 13, Jesus demonstrated humble service. Sorry, he engaged in humble service to demonstrate the path to blessing. Verse 15 says, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their masters. Nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Sometimes we get caught in the moment in life and we, we look at the loss and we miss the lesson. We miss the learning that God is trying to bring into our lives. And Jesus doesn't want his apprentices to miss the learnings. He doesn't want them to just see all of this unfold before their eyes and feel warm and fuzzy about what an amazing leader they've got. I mean, here's a guy who enjoys rubbing toes. Who wouldn't want to follow him? This is not a random act of kindness where they were supposed to walk away going, what a lovely fellow. This is a profound teaching moment. Jesus doesn't want his followers to miss the point, the application. That's why he says in verse 12, do you understand what I just did? Did you comprehend it? Did it, did it sink in? Do you understand what I was doing? Do you really get it? Yes, I just engaged in foot washing, the, the bottom rung of slave labour, the job reserved for the last guy hired every single time. I mean, Cesar said it, so I'll use his name, mate, if you're available for the toilets. This is not just like cleaning the toilets. This is like we've just had a footy team visit and Gastro's gone through the club and, mate, we've, we've, we've flipped the coin and you lost the toss, so here's a spray and wipe. Go get him, Cesar, go get him. This is the category for foot washing. It was like bottom rung of bottom rung. And Jesus doesn't hesitate. He gets involved in that. But he wanted them to realise the why. I did this as a demonstration, he says. This is a model for you to follow. The Gospel of Luke gives extra colour to this scene that John doesn't give us. See, the disciples had entered this room in this moment arguing about which one of them was the greatest. That was the backstory here. They went into this room arguing about who should be side by side with Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll show you greatness. Here's a demonstration of greatness. And he offers himself in humble service and says, that's where blessing is. That's where blessing is. And it's in the doing. 
It's in the doing. It's in the doing. It's in the doing, not the observing, not the admiring. It's in the doing of this, Jesus says, that blessing is found. Patrick Lencioni talks a lot about working in team and much of his best work is actually done in a secular workforce. But check out this brilliant perspective he offers. I'm tired of hearing about servant leadership, he says. My hope is someday people won't talk about it anymore because servant leadership will be the only type of leadership that exists. Jesus influenced people through servant leadership. He was servant leader 101. He is the instigator of it all. And Jesus served knowing the fullness of his identity. Jesus served in the midst of evil scheming. And Jesus served as a demonstration of us. May we also be found serving. Someone's going to say, John, I don't have a desire to serve. (laughs) Return to question one. If you've got no interest in the how are you, you're still working on the who am I. Return to that. What does that look like? It means sitting and contemplating and accepting what God says about you and letting the chains fall off your life and, and moving in to that healthy identity that's gifted in Christ. Well, John, that's not a fair thing to say because that affirming parent that you spoke of earlier, oh, I just didn't have that and here I am stuck and, and I don't know where to go from here. It's just my life. I'm And I suffer the scars of that. Well, you have a heavenly parent. You might not have had an earthly parent that lifted you and built you and affirmed you and spoke words of kindness. But you have a heavenly parent. You have a heavenly father who stands ready to do those things. The question is, will you open up your life to him and say, here I am, Lord. That's where it all starts and that's where it all moves. So why don't you stand and join me for prayer. Thank you for the gospel, Lord God. Thank you that your perfect love is a love that casts out fear. Lord, and in these moments we say, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Take me. Nobody loves me like you do, Lord. So take my life. May I follow you. May I engage in serving you just like Christ did. May I understand and comprehend the fullness of my identity. May I know that I am a dearly loved son, daughter of the Most High God. Get Access Church Online family. Hope you really enjoyed the service. service, Even in the midst of people who are a bit suspect, even in the midst of people who may have plans to harm me. God, may my trust in you be so great and may my identity be so settled that I keep moving forward serving you. And as I do that, Lord, as we do that, may we understand that it's more blessed to give than receive. Lord, and as we enter into this service with you, that that blessing from you flows and continues to fill our cup and enables us to sustain pouring out ourselves on your behalf. Lord, continue to pour in, 
Continue to fill us with your love. Continue to help us continue to return to you. Every time we find ourselves questioning again, who am I? Do I have any worth? What is my place? Oh Lord, again and again and again and again, may we return to the fountain of life and find ourselves there and be found in you. Be found in you. Lord, whoever wants to find their lives must lose it. And so in these moments, we surrender. We say we want to be found. So take our lives. Thank you, Lord.